This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host and we are here to help take your leadership to the next level and I'm joined as always by Dr. Richard Blackaby. Great to be with you. 2021 and it's still a delight working with you, Sam. All right. So far, so good then. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the right track. Well, uh, we hope your year is off to a good start and uh, we we figured we'd do the first um, leadership profile of this year going uh, way back in time to uh, a little known... Uh, revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not uh, talking about Pancho Villa either. No, <laughs> no, no, we'd be talking about uh, a man you may have heard of, Martin Luther. Yeah. Something, yeah. Not, something King, about, not King Jr., but even earlier than him. Something about uh, theses and a wall, uh, a door and uh, nailing those up and, and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, yeah. So why don't we just dive right in? Maybe uh, to start with, um, where did he come from? Who was he in the early days? And uh, how did he become such a figure in um, Christendom and, and obviously the world even beyond uh, Christianity? Yeah, and uh, you know, as I always do, I usually base uh, biography on a particular biography I read, and uh, the one that I would highlight uh, for our readers today is uh, Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World by Eric Metaxas. And uh, I've read a couple of Metaxas books. Of course, he's written one on Wilberforce and uh, written one on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, and uh, yeah, for the most part, I like uh, what Metaxas tries to do, which is to try to make these historic figures interesting and, yeah. and reachable. I, I think I've shared with you before. I think now and then he, I think he's a little loose with some of his historic facts. I think is a he does some good historic work uh, and digs up a lot of uh, of stuff. But uh, he might be uh, he, if he were in a history PhD seminar, he might've gotten his wrist slapped a couple of times, uh, by maybe speculating a little too much, but, uh, but that's part of what makes it interesting. And so if if people are asking me, there, there's a book that is kind of considered a classic called uh, here I stand by Roland Bainton, which I have that as well, but it's a little, it's a little denser, uh, a little, uh, thicker and scholarly. And I've known some people who tried to wade through that because they were interested in Luther and that's, that's uh, not for the the faint of heart, I yeah. think, to read that. But uh, so Metaxas makes it a bit more approachable. But, yeah. Now his book is, uh, you know, it's it's not a wimpy sized book, no. but uh, uh, I mean, it's not like a thousand page biography like I would expect. It's no uh, Churchill biography. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know, I mean, you got to put things in perspective. But there's over 400 pages here, and so uh, you know, you're 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 going to get a good um, presentation anyway. But uh, and we'll leave as always. We'll put links to that. Uh, in our show notes as well. Yeah. But, uh, of course, the, some of the problems with people like Luther is that they they kind of become legendary. And yeah. we we know that they were a big deal and they accomplished a lot. And a lot of, and literally, a lot of legend builds up around them. And after a while, it's kind of like, you know, George Washington and cutting down the cherry tree. It's uh, that's not, that's fictional, but we've, but you, you're taught that in school to the point where legend becomes reality. And, and so sometimes you have to, and it, it, it takes nothing away from great people by pulling away the legend, the stuff that's not true. 
the fact that there is a legend around them in the first place means that they were a big deal, that mm -hmm. people thought a lot about them yeah. and wrote a lot about them. And so uh, Luther is one of those people that um, y you take nothing away from him by just uh, taking a hard look at who he was, what he was trying to do. And, yeah. and like every person in history, you, you have to take them in their context. You, uh, if you pull a guy out of the 1500s today, there's things about Martin Luther that are, are going to be offensive to you. For instance, he was uh, he had some statements he made that were pretty anti-Semitic, and we'd look at that and say, "Well, Martin, how could you be such a a, a Bible scholar and 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 leader of the Reformation, and yet have some kind of views like that?" But uh, you have to understand where he came from, what he's battling against, um, and to realize some of these guys. Uh, they broke ground that had never been broken before so mm -hmm. that now you and I can look at things and just take it for granted yeah. and just say, well, everybody knows that. But you, what you have to remember is back in the 1500s, everybody didn't know that. Well, and I'd say it, it's, not to, uh, it's not to excuse anybody, um, you know, looking back with our 21st century eyes and saying, well, obviously, they, you know, they got that wrong. But it's to say that these are complicated people. That, yeah. that aren't just, uh, you know, one track. Yeah, and if you find a person in the Middle Ages, there's a lot of, uh, of superstition and bad science and, uh, and things like that that people have to overcome. And they, they, they just haven't learned that yet. Science yeah. hasn't discovered that yet. Books haven't been written about those subjects yet. So they, uh, you know, they, in some areas, they're going to break new ground and they're going to have insights. But uh, some of the superstition maybe that they believe in it may take another century or two before someone rids us of that and so you can't go you can't blame someone you know we have 500 more years of science right and writing and theologians and so on uh contributing to our thinking that they didn't have and so 500 years of great thinkers and yeah. writers um gives us a bit of an advantage over them and so <laughs> it doesn't doesn't take anything away from them in fact in many ways, they're more, far more enlightened than their peers. Uh, so anyway, all that just to say, yeah, when you go back, you just have to kind of, to understand uh, how huge it was, what they did, you have to understand where they came from, what what was their context. And, uh, and Luther, like a lot of people, there's so much written about him, but he was the oldest son of his, uh, of his parents. And they, he, his father was quite ambitious, had, had goals for his son basically wanted him to be an attorney, uh, was trying to set his son up to make lots of money and, and be very successful and sent him to law school. Martin uh, dropped out, <laughs> not too far in. Uh, part of what uh, Luther said was uh, law was all about speculation and uncertainty, and he wanted he was looking for certainty. He was looking for mm -hmm. things that were true that he could that he could put his foot down and say, I know this to be true. And uh, so he ultimately ends up going into theology, which at that time was really scandalous to his dad. It was disappointing. His dad had spent a lot of money uh, getting him into law school and so on. And uh, so to have his son just say, Dad, that's just not for me. Uh, Luther's not the first or the last son that will deeply disappoint his father <laughs> by not... Uh, not following through with his dad's dreams for his life. Yeah. Uh, in Luther's case, uh, he 
ultimately demonstrates that he, you know, he, he didn't become a lawyer, but he did change history <laughs> and he revolutionized the future. So started a Protestant Ref- Reformation, among other things. But, uh, but that was Luther. And so he, uh, you can just tell at an early age that uh, he's a, a sensitive soul. Uh, he's sensitive about his own sin. He's uh, really quite troubled by the fact that one day he'll stand before a holy God and he doesn't know that he'll be uh, in a position to, uh, to stand before that God, that he, mm-hmm. he knows that he's a sinner um, and he's, he's just racked with guilt over that. Uh, but uh, he has uh, a couple of life-changing moments in his life that uh, change everything for him. One of those is July 2nd, 1505, um, probably about 12 years or so before he nails his 95 theses to the wall. And uh, he's returning from university on horseback, and uh, and a terrible lightning storm develops, and uh, a lightning bolt strikes uh, quite close to Luther. He it, it it's so loud. Of course, you have to remember too. You know, this is before uh, loudspeakers. It's before airplane engines. It's before cars honking. Uh, they're, they're just not used to that kind of noise, those kind of decibels. And so for a loud thunderstorm and, and lightning to, uh, crash right uh, sound, uh, seemingly right on top of you scares him to death. And, uh, he actually cries out, help St. Anna, which is cause he's a, he's a good Catholic and he has uh, learned about the various saints and, uh, and so interesting that he doesn't pray to God. He hmm. prays uh, to a saint who he believes can help him. And he says, I will become a monk. Um, uh, and uh, he basically is so scared that famously he says, just basically save my life and I'll become a monk. I'll enter a monastery. Well, wow. his his life is saved. He doesn't die. Uh, probably wasn't in that much danger, but... Uh, but he didn't now, know that. <laughs> but now he's made a promise, and he and he felt it was obligatory. He, he felt like he couldn't back out and say, "Well, Saint Anna, I actually I was a little premature there." <laughs> and, and so he goes to the Saint Augustine Monastery, takes his uh, vows, ultimately, uh, ultimately becomes an Augustinian monk uh, and a priest, and uh, and and begins. Uh, his uh, pilgrimage to trying to find peace with God. And famously with uh, Luther, there was a famous uh, period where he is, uh, he's trying to get every sin he could imagine confessed. And, and he's, he's just trying to be f- made clean before God. He just feels, he feels unclean. He feels dirty. Uh, he feels like a sinner. And he, and uh, so through confession, he feels like if I can just uh, confess everything just once and for all, get every solitary sin dealt with. So I'm, I can feel clean. Finally, I can not worry that holy God gazes upon my life. Um, and so he, he goes to confess, uh, to, uh, someone there and a priest there in his monastery. And he's been going on and on and on. Of course, there's only so many sins you can commit in a monastery. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he's kind of stretching it, uh, to, to, you know, and he finally, and the, and the poor priest who's taking confession is bored to tears listening to these petty little sins that are just causing such anguish to, to Martin. And finally, Martin's done, it appears, and the guy, much to the relief of the, the person he's confessing to, 
and uh, he's just kind of wrapping it up and about to, to to bring it to an end. And then Martin stops and says, wait, 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 Father, I, I thought of something else. And uh, he basically says uh, something to the effect of uh, that the night before they were having dinner and they're, of course, very meager uh, meal portions. And uh, and they they put out the, the little bits of potato uh, onto Martin's plate. And Martin, he confessed that he looked over at his brother so-and-so's uh, dish and realized that he had a smidgen more potatoes than, than Martin did. And in that moment, Martin had unkind thoughts toward his brother. <laughs> and he just wanted to confess that and get that right with God. And uh, at that point, I, I mean, the, the le- this may be kind of legendary as well, but uh, I think at that point, the confessor just said something to him like, Martin, like, you know, for goodness sakes, like go out and like kill somebody or do something worthwhile of confession. But, but being jealous because your monk brother has like half a spoonful more potato than you do, like, you know, come on. Like, but that's where he was. And yeah. uh, to an extreme, certainly... Uh, but he was trying to find peace with God. And I, and in part, what I think Luther was realizing was that, uh, that, uh, it doesn't take much, uh, when, when you stand before a perfect, holy God, uh, any little sin, uh, disqualifies you. One little sin is enough uh, to separate you for an eternity from holy God. And, and, and Luther knew this and Luther knew that there was just, he had not found a way to feel peace with God. So, so that's uh, Luther, and uh, but there's another issue going on, and we could probably don't have time certainly to get into all of it. But uh, you know, anytime you see the church uh, getting basically wedded to the state, um, I'll just tell you historically, the church has never done well when it is allied closely with the state, with yeah. the go- with the government. Of course, churches are always seduced by that. Oh, if the king were to be a member of our church, if he were to support our church, or if this famous politician or this senator would would join our church, we could all say that, uh, or the governor of our state goes to our church, you know, what a, uh, what a coup that would be for us. And uh, and the problem is that we, the church is just far too easily seduced at times by the powers of government and the state. And, uh, and so over the years, uh, back in this time period, the Catholic Church had become very tied in with the government and the state. And, and basically, the, the church uh, was the wealthiest organization on the planet. They, they had a lot of wealth, a lot of influence, and uh, a lot of power, that, and they used it. Uh, and, and we can even if we assume that it was with the best of motives, uh, still, once you start using force uh, to convince people to do what you think they should do, um, you're in trouble. And and so the the church, uh, and of course, if you it, back in the Middle Ages, there weren't a lot of jobs really available. You couldn't just you weren't going to go into the IT industry. Uh, you weren't going to probably be a you know startup specialist. Uh, uh, with a bunch of, um, you know, of, of financing and, and launching a new industry or anything. And so there weren't, uh, venture capitalists. Yeah, they were hard to find, uh, back at that time. And so, uh, 
but the church was this vast organization and it uh, paid well, especially if you went higher up and became a bishop or something or archbishop. And, and so if you're uh, ambitious, you've got one life to live um, and you'd like to make a good living, uh, the church attracted a lot of ambitious souls. Uh, whether they were necessarily very spiritual people or not was another another story. Yeah. And, uh, and so at a certain point, famously, uh, the Pope Leo X is trying to build uh, St. Peter's uh, Basilica, the uh, and uh, the largest church in Christendom, and it's going to cost a lot of money. And so they're trying to raise money. And yeah. at that time, of course, there's a lot of, uh, of poor people, uh, peasants that don't have a lot, uh, farmers uh, eking out existence. But even peasants who don't have a lot want to go to heaven. They, they do. And uh, they'll pay uh, for the, the right to go there. And so uh, famously, uh, in that period of time, the church was selling what they called indulgences. And, uh, and basically, the pope would write uh, letters uh, of, of forgiveness. And if you paid a certain amount of money, you could, uh, you could get uh, an indulgence for yourself or even for loved ones who had died before, maybe for your grandmother. Or, mm-hmm. Of course, in that time, they believed in purgatory which meant you may uh, ultimately be saved, you may ultimately go to heaven, but you have committed sins that uh, didn't ever get forgiven properly. And so you may have to spend a couple thousand years, not necessarily in hell, but in a place there was some similarities to it, yeah. where you, you suffer for a while, and then finally you, are, you, you pay your debts and you go to heaven. And so uh, and so they're going around selling this, and they're and they're making a lot of money uh, in part to to build this huge church. Richard and Daniel Blackaby will be at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove on May 17th through 19th, 2021. The title of this event is On the Move, How God Increases Your Spiritual Influence. It was originally scheduled to be held this year, but due to COVID-19, has been rescheduled. You can find out more and register at thecove.org. Links will also be in the show notes. Um, and and so Luther looks at some of these kinds of practices and just says they're just there's this is just bad theology. <laughs> yeah, something's uh, off. And he says, you know, if and he of course rightly says, well, if the Pope all he has to do is just write a letter of forgiveness, why doesn't he just do that anyway, with, like without charging for it? Why why doesn't he just do it for the love of humanity and and help out? And and who says that the Pope has that kind of power anyway to do that? Only Christ can forgive sins and. And it's not by how much you pay. It's not by what you do. It's by his grace. It's by faith. And uh, and so he ultimately writes the, the 95 Thesis where he just, and what we don't understand is, and, and if you've seen movies about this, of course, it's dra- dramatized quite a bit. But uh, when he wrote his original 95 Thesis, uh, they were in Latin. Uh, and that was, and, and the, the average German peasant didn't read Latin. Uh, it was not really written for the common person. Yeah. Uh, Luther really just wanted to have a scholarly debate. By that time, he's the head of the theology department at his university in Wittenberg, and he just really wants the scholars to discuss this. And uh, interestingly, he he invites people to come and discuss these 95 statements he makes. And according to Metaxas, nobody actually shows up for the for the debate. I mean, it's all it's, it's an invitation. That's I'd you know I'm gonna. 
welcome a discussion and debate on these topics. Nobody actually shows up for the, the actual debate with Luther. But word does get out about these, and before long, some printers at the time. You have to realize, too, the printing press has been out for just a little while. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, no, uh, there's, there's no copyright law at that time. And so you see anything that you want to reprint, and you just, just if, you, if you think you can make some money, you just reprint it. And Luther wrote a number of books. He never had very much money. He never made any money from his writing. Other people made lots of money from selling prints of his writing, but uh, Luther did not. And so it gets out there and a firestorm erupts. And what people don't realize now is that Luther was actually fairly conservative. He, he wasn't trying to leave the church. He didn't want to, he, his plan was not, I'm going to start a, a Lutheran church. He, right. uh, he, he just wanted to make his church better. He, he only thought of it as terms of there's just one church. And, and he just, he believed radically that uh, that the Bible was the one source of theological truth, and he he gets into trouble because the popes are saying that they are the ultimate uh, discerner of truth, and that only they can really interpret the Bible. In fact, there's a real thought back then that all these illiterate peasants, uh, you can't trust them to read the Bible. Like they don't have training; they haven't spent years in school. Um, and so we don't even want to put books in people's hands because they'll just misread it, misunderstand it, be led astray by some heresy. And so let's protect the people and we just won't even let them read books in the first place. And then they won't get, uh, they won't be mistaken. Uh, and so it became very much just the elite who would do all the thinking for the masses. Yeah. Uh, and how generous. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, kind of see that sometimes even to this day don't you yeah. uh where people haven't changed that much it's over like there. they're too stupid to manage their own affairs uh to think for themselves uh so we'll let people know what is the right way to think and what's the wrong way to think uh some things in human nature and power uh relationships just don't seem to ever change but uh and so there were a number of things like for instance uh even in the Mass uh, at that time, there's a Catholic Mass, or we'd call it now in modern uh, Protestant circles, the Lord's Supper or Communion. But back then, they wouldn't, uh, th- they wouldn't let uh, the common people have the bread and the wine. Uh, you, only, you got the bread, and <laughs> the, the, the priest kept the wine. Uh, but only the uh, priest actually convenient. got both. And again, it was almost, uh, there was a sense in which, can we trust the, because of course they saw Communion as, an actual sacrifice of Christ's body and blood. and You don't want to defile it with all these peasants. Yeah, that was kind of their thinking. And so in many ways, it was very demeaning, very hierarchical. Uh, the, the, the rabble can't be trusted with this kind of thing. So when Luther, and of course, the Bible itself is written in Latin. So if you, there were a lot of priests who didn't speak or read very good Latin. So uh, there, there just really weren't a lot of people that knew the Bible. And so mm-hmm. Luther is studying the Bible, and he keeps finding stuff in the Bible that the church isn't doing. And, and, he, and so he begins to ask questions to say, well, where in the Bible is this? Or how do you judge? Or the Bible says this. How, you're, not, you're doing the opposite. And, uh, and so he gets into a, a, a great conflict with the church. And, and basically the church just says, uh, they don't read. And he keeps saying, Luther, if you kind of read through the various uh, debates and meetings he has, um, he's not 
his heart is not really to try to stir things up. He just yeah. all, he, he's a he's a theologian. He's uh, an academic. He really just wants to sit in a room and let's just discuss this. Let's talk about what the Bible says. But uh, but every time he gets in a meeting with uh, church officials, this, typically what they'll say is this: they'll say, uh, uh, "Well, Luther, you know, Luther's already with the the Bible to say. Well, let's talk about what Paul said here in Romans chapter three. Um, but when he gets into a meeting, they'll say, they'll they'll bring out a stack of Luther's books and say, Luther, are these your books? And if and and Luther knows if he says yes, which he kind of has to, his name's on it, um, then their next statement will be, well, the church has already declared that these have heresy in them. So if they're your books, then you're a heretic, and and so that's all we that's no no further discussion. Mm. And he keeps saying, well, just talk, well, show me, and he'd say, well, just show me where I'm in error. Well, that's uh, you know that's beyond what uh, this meeting's about. We you, we've already decided that you're in error, so. All you need to do is recant and just say you made a mistake and that you're wrong and the church is right. And he would say, "Well, well, show me where I show me in my books where I'm wrong. Give me a sentence here that is wrong." And and most of the time they'll say, "Well, no, that's not the prerogative here. We've already it's already been decided that you're a heretic. You just have to, you know, renounce and, and hmm. repent." And and so, of course, that drives Luther crazy. Um, but what helps him is that, and and again, uh, sometimes we think that, uh, it, it, I mean, Luther is on to biblical truth, and biblical truth sets people free, and and uh, God will bless truth that comes from the, his word, which is what happens with Luther. But, uh, but, the, but there's always more to it than that in history. And yeah. so... Part of what happens with Luther is that he taps into the masses, and especially remember he's in Germany, and and these Italian cardinals and archbishops, uh, they're just bringing wagon loads of money out of Germany down to Rome to pay for the St. Peter's, and uh, and they're they're basically ripping off these German peasants who are who are being made to feel guilty. They they barely have any money, but if they don't give all the money they have. Their poor grandmother is going to spend ten thousand years in purgatory just because they were cheap and wanted to hold on to their money, and so Luther sets these people free from this exploitation, this fear, uh, this superstition, and uh, and Luther does a couple other things. He he translates the Bible from Latin to German, and for the first time, Germans actually can read the Bible in their own language and. Uh, and he changes the, the the mass from Latin to, to German. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, people can actually, because uh, there were a lot of people in that day who would go to church and not understand one word that was being said. Yeah. They, did, they didn't understand Latin. And so they, they'd they gone to church all their life, so they kind of had an idea of what you said, uh, when you stood, when you knelt, but uh, they, they really didn't understand what was being said. And uh, so Luther appeals to the, the common person and uh and it becomes revolutionary and yeah so when the church uh declares that he's a heretic and just needs to be burned at the stake uh to the church's disappointment the, the germans don't do that they don't arrest him uh instead they 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 support him and uh they say well we don't really like these uh religious politicians down in italy making rules about how we live up here in Germany and, yeah. uh, and taking all of our money. And, uh, 
and making us have to speak a language that none of us speaks here when we go to church. And uh, so Luther, when you read his story, what you discover is uh, one thing is as he as he goes to the Bible, uh, he discovers how revolutionary the Bible is, and mm-hmm. and the Bible um, speaks to modern day. The Bible still will hold up modern society, and and the Bible will also address how we do church. And um, you know, we 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 now we think, well, yeah, but that was the olden days. Well, well, you know, by the 1500s, the Christianity's been going around for 1500 years. The, yeah. Uh, the Bible's old then, and yet it's very, very relevant to mm. Luther's day, and uh, it's still relevant to our day as well. And uh, and you know, you look at a guy like Luther, and there, and he's got his flaws. Um, he has his shortcomings, uh, but uh, and, and really, history kind of catches him by surprise. He's you, when you read his story, you realize he yep. is not setting out trying to be a revolutionary. Right. In fact, he's he actually tries to kind of. Uh, stem the tide at times to say to his followers, hey, let's not get too carried away here. Uh, He's just trying to make the Catholic Church a better version. Yeah. And and the church really kind of misplays its hand. Of course, it doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but uh, they, instead of just engaging him in an honest kind of discussion and debate about Scripture, they they just, they're too quick just to label him a heretic. And of course... um, we see that today, you know, yeah. we don't, don't talk, don't understand other people, just yeah. call them politically incorrect and the wrong side of history. Call, the, and, call them names and shun them. Yeah. And, That's... uh, and, and ghost them, you know, just, uh, yeah. but, uh, but that's not how you, you resolve things. And there are some things, especially if God's the author that, uh, are just they're going to be too big to just try yeah. to hide and uh and once truth starts to trickle down to the common masses uh you can have some hope uh that that big you, you the powers that be the elites were not able to keep a lid on it with luther yeah. and uh and throughout history it's been very difficult for the elites just to to sort of control the masses uh, forever you can do it for a time you can bully them but ultimately, truth is very powerful as it gets into people's hearts, and uh, and so you, that's the story of Luther, uh, the power of truth, the power of just a a humble monk in an, an isolated Augustinian monastery. Can can God change the world? Uh, nobody would ever know where Wittenberg was if it wasn't because of Luther and what he did. Mm. It's uh, and to to and so I think what history tells us is. Don't ever feel like you're insignificant. My church is just a small little church, or I just run a small business. Uh, if God, in His Word, inspires you with truth, it's amazing where that truth can go and how it can affect people for for centuries to come. Well, a fascinating life and a fascinating read. Again, we'll leave links to uh, the Eric Metaxas biography in our show notes. And uh, as always, these are always... Uh, Lots of fun to look at these uh, leaders throughout history. So until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.